Hola mi gente. The moment you've been waiting for is finally here. My brand new book, Financially Lit, is officially out. And I can't wait for you to get your copy. Inside this book, I'm bringing you culturally relevant and relatable personal finance advice that will allow you to finally feel seen, heard, and understood. Whether it's the guilt you feel from being the first person to make it while members of your family are still struggling, or the way that financial trauma manifests itself in negative and limiting beliefs around money, Financially Lit is here to guide you through it all. Just a few years ago, it was almost impossible to find personal finance books written for first-generation wealth-building Latinas. We have been forced to navigate the complicated world of money with a bunch of money books written by old white dudes who don't understand what it's like for us first-gen kids. But that stops right here, right now. Inside Financially Lit, you will learn how to set boundaries with your familia, with your dinero, create and pass on generational wealth, diversify and increase your income, protect yourself from financial abuse, navigate the complicated relationship between amor and dinero, invest like a white dude or better, and so much more. You can get your hard copy and audiobook version of Financially Lit at financiallylitbook.com and make sure to join our email list so you can find out when I'm stopping in a city near you for the Financially Lit book tour. See you soon. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Just to give context as to why I'm such a proponent of B2B business is because only 4% of women are able to hit a million dollars in revenue in their business. And of that 4%, 54% of them are only able to hit a milli because they do business at the corporate and government level, right? So if that's your goal, if that's where you're trying to go, that's the fastest way for you to get there. It really boils down to you understanding your skill sets and what are you good at and going back into corporate and selling it just like you would a consumer, but now you're selling it to a business. So for example, let's say you did leadership and development when you were in corporate, you can now take that skill set, create a training that you can sell back to corporate. What if you decided you wanted to start a business where you're selling soap? Corporations, their offices need soap in their bathrooms. So you can get the contract to supply all of the soap throughout all of their real estate properties. It really doesn't matter if you have a service or a product, there's a way for you to go after big five and six figure contracts. You're listening to Yo Quiero Dinero, a personal finance podcast for the modern Latina. I'm your host, Janice Torres, award-winning Latina personal finance expert. I didn't always have my financial shit together, but when I started looking for POC-friendly personal finance podcasts, I couldn't find any. And so Yo Quiero Dinero was born. On this show, I'll show you how to make dinero, how to keep your dinero, and most importantly, how to make it grow. Each week, I'm connecting you with the most brilliant minds in the world of money and business, so you can learn about investing, entrepreneurship, and building wealth. The best part? I'm dishing up all this knowledge with a sassy side of sazón. So if you're ready to be poderosa with your dinero, you've come to the right place. Let's dive in.
Before we hop into today's conversation, I want to remind you to follow us on social. If you're loving this podcast and you want more community, you want to find out more about our events and all the stuff that we have going on behind the scenes, you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, TikTok, YouTube, Instagram, and everywhere else you love to hang out on the internet. If you're loving this podcast, please take a moment to leave us a review if you listen to us on Apple. It's the easiest way to share our podcast with people that you know and love, and it helps us get discovered by amazing listeners like you. So take a moment, leave us a review, share us with your friends and family, subscribe so that you never miss an episode, and make sure to check out our blog, YoQuieroDineroPodcast.com, where you can sign up for our email list and you'll never miss an episode. Plus, you get exclusive invitations to our live events, special discounts for our digital courses, and as always, our best personal finance tips and advice to help you be poderosa with your dinero. Thanks for listening. Now, let's get into the episode. All right, Victoria Jen, welcome to the podcast. So excited to have you here. Thank you for spending some time with us to talk about all things entrepreneurship, making dinero. So you know I love talking about that shit, girl. Same <laughs> here. Listen, secure the big bag is my motto. All right. So let's start off with an intro. Tell us who you are, what you do, and we'll go in from there. Sure. So first, thank you so much for having me on the podcast and congratulations, all of the success with the podcast. So Victoria Jen Rodriguez, I am what you call corporate hustler turned serial entrepreneur. And essentially what that means is I was in corporate for 15 plus years, started on Wall Street doing sales and trading, ended up in consumer product goods, healthcare. I even worked on legislation in Albany and Washington. And my last corporate gig, I was heading up talent management at Johnson & Johnson. And then five years ago, they wanted to lay me off. They wanted to relocate me to Tampa. No shade to Tampa, but I was like, I'm more of a Miami girl. I'm <laughs> not moving to Tampa. So I gracefully bowed out. And I was still thinking corporate was my lane. And I was going on interviews, making it to final rounds, and I just wasn't able to close. And so I took that as a sign from God to bet on myself and do my own thing. And Five years later, running successful, high-earning six-figure businesses and living life my way on my terms and helping other women do the same. Are you in Miami now? I'm wondering. Girl, I wish. I'm in New Jersey. <laughs> okay. So we share that connection because I was born and raised in Jersey. We also share the Johnson & Johnson connection because that's the last company that I worked for before I went off on my own. So it's funny. We were like in each other's orbits. And then we're also Oriqua. So it's like, yo, check, 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 check. <laughs> And we're both entrepreneurs. I'm here for it. So the path for me to entrepreneurship was very nonlinear. It was kind of like it happened by accident because I was just really frustrated with the box that we get put in as women and as women of color in corporate America. I don't know about you, but I felt like I could never be my fully expressed self at work. As a Latina, I had to be a certain flavor that was palatable and couldn't be too loud, couldn't wear too bright of clothes, couldn't be wearing the curly ass hair and the red lipstick and just standing out. And I feel like entrepreneurship was meant for me because I wanted to just be my most fully expressed self and it was going to happen one way or another. And I'm wondering if you can resonate with that at all. It's interesting. I was just having this conversation with a friend over the weekend because I vibe with corporate. Like corporate and I got along very well. I had great experiences. I traveled on their dime, stayed in five-star hotels. Corporate was my boot. We got a relationship and I was good with it. But there was this one moment in my career where I really felt like people don't understand where I come from. And I was on the trading desk uh, working at Lehman Brothers at the time. And broker that I was working with asked me to look up this account. And the account was 
Joel Steinberg. Pero where I grew up, nobody was named Joel and definitely no Steinbergs. So I didn't know. Pero I had a primo that was named Joel and it was spelled the same way. J-O-E-L. So when I brought the account up and I go over to the broker, I'm like, oh, here's Joel Steinberg's account. And he looks up at me, starts laughing hysterical. You can't read, Victoria. This says Joel Steinberg. Ha, ha, ha. And the whole trading floor heard this, right? Because it was an open floor. And I looked at him and I was like, I got something for you. So I go back to my desk. I made sure the speakers were on. And I asked Google, how do you pronounce the Spanish name J-O-E-L? And on the speaker, so the whole trading desk could hear it, it said Joel, J-O-E-L. And it said where the name was originated, et cetera. So all that chatter and laughter, it kind of got, you know, simmered down. And I walked over to the broker and I was like, clearly this is a learning opportunity for both of us because I don't know any Joels. You don't know any Joels, but that doesn't mean that it doesn't exist. So think about that the next time that you try to ridicule someone. And from that moment on, he obviously gained a new respect for me. The brokers did. Everyone on the trading desk did. And it was kind of my stake to claim by owning my cultura and owning where I came from and using the moment to educate both myself and the broker. So that was the one pivotal time in my career where I really felt like, oh, shit, I'm on new territory. (laughs) these people don't know you girl because that would have intimidated a lot of people and i think a lot of people would have just i'm not even gonna say nothing because you just react to shit like that one of two ways you either get into fight mode or you get into flight mode and you chose nah bitch you ain't about to embarrass me like i'm doing something wrong no no we ain't doing this i'm sorry but yeah to the point like and this happens to a lot of people of color a lot of latinas the imposter syndrome comes about like, maybe I don't belong here. I'm just lucky to be here. Let me go back to my desk, put my head down and keep it quiet and swallow that. Not realizing that that's kind of induced trauma that you are welcoming into your space by not sticking up for yourself. That's facts. Okay. So talk me through you launching your business because this was not necessarily something that you had envisioned. You were trying to get back into corporate and things just were not panning out. So what's that first step look like for you? So the first step looked like me doing what I knew I did best, right? So when I left corporate at the time, I was in talent management. I was doing a lot of career coaching. I was doing a lot of interview training, resume reviews. So my business actually started with me coaching people on career mobility and resume writing, interview training. So that's how I started. I did what I knew best. And then when I started making money from it, I was like, I need to figure out how to create a system and structure around this. And maybe a couple of months in, I realized that I didn't enjoy doing it as much as I thought I did. Something else needs to happen. Then I ended up going to a conference in Napa, California, and I met this gentleman who just grew a liking to me and basically schooled me on how I could sell my expertise around talent management, talent engagement back to corporate and secure five and six figure contracts. And then it was at that moment that it was like, okay, I now have a consulting company (laughs) that goes after big corporate contracts. So what does that actually look like? Because I think a lot of small business owners, when they first begin, they're thinking direct to consumer, right? So they're thinking B2C. You're talking B2B, which that's where the big bag is. And that's where people need to be focusing. So what does that process look like for pitching yourself to a corporation versus client? 
Yeah. And just to give context as to why I'm such a proponent of B2B business is because only 4% of women are able to hit a million dollars in revenue in their business. And of that 4%, 54% of them are only able to hit a milli because they do business at the corporate and government level, right? So if that's your goal, if that's where you're trying to go, that's the fastest way for you to get there. It really boils down to you understanding your skill sets and what are you good at and going back into corporate and selling it just like you would a consumer, but now you're selling it to a business. So for example, Let's say you did leadership and development when you were in corporate. You can now take that skill set, create a training that you can sell back to corporate. What if you decided you wanted to start a business where you're selling soap? Corporations, their offices need soap in their bathrooms. So you can get the contract to supply all of the soap throughout all of their real estate properties. It really doesn't matter if you have a service or a product. There's a way for you to go after big five and six figure contracts. It makes a lot of sense too, because I feel like a lot of companies are leaning more towards project-based hires where they will hire consultants, specialists for a specific project that's going to last X amount of time. And they don't want to have a full-time employee that they're going to have to pay benefits to and all of this shit. They just want to find subject matter experts that can handle whatever it is that that project requires. And everybody benefits. Like I've seen my dad, he's been a consultant for 25 years and he gets hired by pharmaceutical companies to go and launch new production lines and all this stuff because they don't have the internal expertise and they don't want to have the internal expertise because they're not going to always be doing this shit. But for whatever project comes up, some new launch, they already know there's a specialized group of people that they can continue to rely on. And that's what I think a lot of people don't realize Like once you have your foot in the door with these corporations... That's a lot of repeat business opportunities that you might not be able to get on the client level, right? Absolutely. And the 70% of the revenue that organizations bring in are spent on consultants. So why not be spent on you? Human capital is the most expensive budget line for any company next to marketing. So if you think about it, let's say if you're in a position where there are discussions about layoffs or you think a layoff is coming, or maybe you want to switch things up and you want to do things differently you can approach your company and say, hey, listen, I'm willing to do this on a consultative basis, which means they're not giving you your health care, you're not getting the benefits and all that jazz, but it now is cheaper for them. If you are going to get laid off anyway, you now are still having consistent income come in, you're building a client portfolio, and you essentially can make your former employer your business sponsor and make them your client. So if you are willing to be flexible and think outside the box and think about what you really value and what you care about the most, you can figure out how you can actually position yourself for an exit or position yourself to start building up a client portfolio while you're still working. And I saw people do this at J&J where they would become such key subject matter experts that they would then be the ones that could decide, I don't want to do the full-time thing anymore. You could bring me on as a consultant for projects and now you're going to pay me four times my hourly rate because nobody else knows the shit that I know anyway. So you're going to pay for it. Exactly. And you give yourself leverage. Once you figure out how to be irreplaceable, you've now positioned yourself in such a way where people are going to have no other choice but to pay you. But even if you have a skill set that multiple people are familiar with, you are always more marketable outside your organization. That's number one. But 
again, be mindful of the economic climate and kind of where businesses are moving towards and a recession that I believe is definitely going to happen, more layoffs are going to happen. So just thinking strategically about, okay, what can I do in this moment if entrepreneurship is on your heart or if you just want to have more freedom over how you spend your time and how you are generating income for yourself? Okay, so what about for the person who's like, I hate my career. I don't want to do any of this. I want to do something completely different and I want to be a business owner. What advice would you give for them when it comes to figuring out what that thing should be? I would say you need to figure out what is it that you like? A, what do you like to do? What do I value? What do I care about? What am I passionate about? A lot of us haven't taken the time to do that exercise. So I would say that's priority number one. And then after you've done that exercise, I would think about things that happen in your life that you wish were better or that you wish were easier or that you wish there was another way of doing, because that could be your opportunity right there and a gap that exists in a space. So for example, a lot of these large organizations that we think about, like an Uber, like a Netflix, like an Amazon, they all started because of an area of opportunity where there was a gap right? People wanted to get their products really fast, but there was no way to do so. Amazon. People wanted to get to point A from B, but they didn't have a car. Uber. So there is opportunity even within your own household and your everyday doings that could possibly be your answer. Absolutely. I always say, take a look at your personal and professional passions. That's a good place to start. Okay. So I think it's always helpful for entrepreneurs who are on the other side of success to tell people about that first year, that grind season, because people get enamored with the idea of entrepreneurship, that shit's going to be easy. And it's not, it's not easy. There will be a hustle and grind season. And so I'm curious what that looked like for you in year one. I love sharing this story because a lot of people feel like they have to prepare to be broke for a long time before making money in their business, or they have to prepare to struggle before they start making money in their business. And my story, as I said, entrepreneurship wasn't something on my brain. I was still interviewing, trying to get another corporate gig when I got laid off at J&J. And one of the firms that I interviewed with, I had a rapport with the hiring manager, but the role wasn't a fit. But her and I stayed in contact. We were connected on LinkedIn. And a couple of months after I met with her and I decided to kind of do my own thing. I started promoting it on LinkedIn and letting the world know like, hey, I'm a business. This is what I'm doing. So about a year into it, a little less than a year, she calls me again about another job opportunity. And I was like, sorry, I started my business. This is what I'm doing. And she's like, all right, well, I'll keep you in mind if anything else comes up. Cool. About a month later, she reaches out to me and she was like, listen, there's an opportunity at my firm. This is the largest asset manager in the world, by the way. And I think you would be a great fit. They're looking for a consultant to build out an onboarding program for new hires. And I was like, okay, yeah, put my name in. I'm ready to talk to whoever I need to talk to. Mind you, I had never secured a big corporate contract before. This was the first time that I was actually meeting with such a big company as an entrepreneur. So I had no idea what the hell I was doing. And that was around the same time that I went to that conference that I mentioned that the guy schooled me on the corporate contract. So I knew this was a possibility. 
So I go in, I meet with the people who are looking for the consultant. Oh, I'm going to ask them for like 75 grand to do this. So I'm in there, I'm talking my shit. I'm selling my ass off, acting like I've done this before multiple times, just talking the talk. And remember, I was in sales, so that was kind of natural to me. So I was just talking the talk. I have my decks. I looked good. I looked like I knew what I was talking about and I sounded like I knew what I was talking about, but I never had really secured a contract at that level. However, I did build out onboarding programs before. So I did have the vernacular. I had the skill set. I knew I could do it. So we're in the negotiation phase and I call up that same guy that I met at the conference and I was like, hey, I have this opportunity, but should I be asking for more? Should I be asking for less? What's the paperwork involved? And he was like, you should ask for six figures for this opportunity. And I was like, okay, I'll ask them for like a hundred grand. No, you're going to ask them for more than that. I am going to ask them for more than that because I deserve more than that. So I ended up securing my first corporate contract for $150,000 in under a year of being in business with the largest asset manager in the world for a project that took me about four months. So I made more off of that one opportunity than I had in my entire career. I was making six figures, but it wasn't 150. So this was the biggest thing that I ever made for four months of my time. And it was at that moment that I was like, oh shit, I could really do this. This is for real. I could go after this kind of money and it's not that hard. Yes, there were multiple conversations, but I was able to do it. And so for anyone who is thinking that you're not going to make any money in your first year of business, yes, that's possible. But what's also possible is you can make the most money you've ever made (laughs) in your first year of business, right? I love that story. And I want to know, girl, where does this confidence come from? Were you always surrounded by like bad bitch energy or what? So I grew up with a single dad. Perhaps it was that masculine energy and waking up with him four o'clock in the morning, going to work with him every day, him trying to do my hair. So I think that had a lot to do with it. My mom also was a badass in her own right. But what made my mom stick out the most was her personality as well as my dad. So I get a lot of them both in me. And I think growing up in New York, honestly. It's like survival of the fittest. Yeah. And it gives you this swag that is just, I'm from New York. Also the Latinidad part of me. I just automatically have this spice to me that gives me a competitive advantage over anybody else. So I think that whole combination is what drives my confidence. But even though I'm confident, there's definitely still moments of, self-doubt. There's moments of imposter syndrome, just like everyone else. You could be the most confident person and still have those experiences because you're human. Absolutely. That's real. And I think the mental side of entrepreneurship is something that doesn't get talked about enough, especially when you're a person of color that maybe doesn't have anybody else in your circle who's doing this. When people are like, you're doing what? That's weird. Just go get a job. So how do you handle the naysayers? What's your advice for people who are letting the mind game be the thing that's their biggest block? So it's interesting because I'm at a pivotal moment in my journey. Because I still play in corporate, one foot out, one foot in. I can't be too outlandish because I'm still going after these contracts, but I want to be outlandish because that's really living completely in my truth and full authenticity. And I truly believe that's where my best life is. That's where the magic is. But there's a conflict. Okay, I do business here and I want to do this. And so each of us have to decide for ourselves when we are going to dare to leap and when we are going to really tap into our full potential. And many times that requires you letting go of the old you 
and your old way of thinking, your old way of how you make money, how you've been conditioned to show up in the world by your parents, your grandparents, your environment, the corporate structure you're in, whatever it is, it's you giving yourself permission to let go and evolve and kind of relearn a new way of living that is most authentic and true to you. And everyone's timing for that is very different. And I think it comes in layers. I think it depends on what you've experienced. And if you've gotten to a point where you're really like, I don't give a fuck. And I'm going to be 40 this year. And I feel like this is the pivotal moment because I'm in these years where now I'm getting to the, I really don't give a fuck. And so I'm really excited about that because I feel like as I just continue to get older, I'm going to give even more no fucks. And so for everyone, again, just to kind of circle back, it really depends on how much you want to really live in your truth. And then you follow what feels right to you instead of always doing things by logic. No, that makes total sense because I think the closer I've gotten to financial freedom, the less I give a shit about being some cookie cutter version of what I'm supposed to be as an entrepreneur. I think that's the beauty of what we do is that we really get to decide how we get to show up. And by doing so, I think that also inspires other people to then reclaim their own authenticity and their own identity. And I want to touch on something that we talked about before we started recording because I found that this is a really common struggle for Latinas who are first gen, might have been born in the States, don't necessarily have the same amount of connection with the motherland that our parents or grandparents had. We are, above all else, Latinas when we show up as entrepreneurs, right? And something that we talked about was this idea of like, Latinidad or being Latina enough and owning that identity as an entrepreneur. And I'm curious what your thoughts on there, because I feel like as I've gotten further into my journey, I've claimed it even more. And I think it's because it wasn't something that I could just be outwardly expressing all the time. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I struggled with this because I don't speak fluent Spanish. I speak fluent Spanglish. And I've been judged for that. And it took a long time for me to get comfortable with the fact that I can still identify with my culture and identify with my community, even though I'm not fluent in the language. And even though that is such a huge part of our culture. And it took a lot of time for me to accept that about myself and for me to not allow the opinions of others. But then it creeps up because then I got Telemundo on my phone and they're like, oh, we want you to come on. I'm like, well, I don't speak Spanish. And they're like, oh, sorry, maybe next time. So it still comes up in little ways. I tell my dad, why didn't you talk to me just in Spanish when I was growing up? My mom was Irish and Polish and Italian. So we spoke English predominantly in the house. And so I really didn't grow up speaking the language. However, every summer I was in Puerto Rico with my tias y todo, my primos. So I got the culture 
infused in me because I was still on the island literally every single year as a kid. So I think it's a matter of owning what I like to call your badassery and really owning who you are and who you are not. If you don't speak the language, that doesn't mean you're unable to identify with the struggles of the community, with the beautiful part of the community, appreciate our food, appreciate our music. I mean, listen, I was just having this conversation the other day and I was like, when Carol G and Shakira dropped their song, I had to go and Google the lyrics, yo, and I felt the way about it. <laughs> but you know what? This is a situation and this is what it is. I was at the Bad Bunny concert. There were songs that he dropped way earlier on that I didn't even know that I had to go look up because I didn't understand the full scope. But I still rep my Latinidad everywhere I go. I still have my culture everywhere I go. I carry it with me. When people look at me, they see they see Latina, right? Hell yeah. I'm like, ain't nobody questioning that. Right? When they talk to me, they hear Latina. The way I dress, the way I smell, everything about me is Latina. So I wish that our community would be more accepting in that way. But that's just another thing that adds to the complexity of our culture and our community. I just got to be the change I want to see. Because if I'm out here owning my Latinidad and speaking my Spanglish fluently and owning that, it gives permission for other Latinas to do the same. Absolutely. It cracks me up how bent out of shape people get about people not speaking Spanish as if that's our native tongue. Y'all, that's the colonizer language too. Okay, so fucking relax. Because if we really want to get technical, Spanish is not even what we should be learning how to speak. It should be whatever the Tainos were speaking. Okay, but that's neither here nor there. <laughs> There's something I wanted to ask you though, because I think it ties into the first generation coming here, being the first one to do all the things. You said that you felt more freedom when you started making more money. And that's when you were able to kind of really tap into your zero fucks attitude. So what was happening before you achieve what you describe as your financial freedom? I'm trying to figure out where this stems from, but I always felt like the need to code switch even as a kid, I would get made fun of as a kid for being too smart because that's what white girls do. Like you talk like a white girl. That whole fucking narrative followed me around my whole life. And I think I just kind of accepted like, okay, I guess I'm just like a white ass Latina who speaks proper English and has multiple degrees and I'm never going to fit into the same box as my primos and primas that are from Puerto Rico born and raised. And what happened for me was I had a specific relationship with my Latinidad and with Puerto Rico as a kid because of how your parents introduce you to the culture, right? Like when I was a kid, I was always in La Sala of my grandmother's house or in church or just in a very closed environment. So I didn't really get to experience the culture in a way that I started to be able to experience as an adult. When I started being able to travel to the island, have my own memories that I created and having my own experiences and exploring in ways that I did not get to do as a child, and it made me realize there's so much more to being Puerto Rican than the fucking flag on the wall and the food that we make for Christmas and the music that my parents played in the house growing up. There's a whole ass community of people that I want to know, that I want to feel a part of, and that I want to immerse myself in. And that's literally what I've been doing for the past three years. I've been traveling to Puerto Rico consistently and just 
immersing myself in a way. I'm not in the tourist zones. I'm not doing no tourist shit. I'm literally staying in the hood, talking to people, going to the grocery store, hanging out at the local gym. I want to fucking feel what it's like to be from here. And that for me has been absolutely transformational because it gave me insight into who I am, where I come from, and what I want to be a part of. And that's why now I'm in the process of planning to move out there because I feel like that's my next step. I want to be about it. I need to be about it. I want to immerse myself in a way that I didn't have the opportunity to because my parents left. And so I think for anybody who's feeling disconnected from their culture, wherever you're from, Immersing yourself in it for me is the number one way to reconnect because the relationship that you had as a kid is not going to be the same that you have as an adult when you can decide how in do you want to get in. And I think you said something so important, especially for those who are feeling unsettled or not anchored or feeling like they're not enough. This whole journey of connecting with the foundation of who you are and identifying who you are and why you are and connecting with your roots, I think is the answer to showing up in the world with the zero fucks to give. Because you're very clear on your identity. You're very clear on where you came from. You're very clear on just who you are as a person, which allows you to show up in spaces with more confidence, with more orgullo, and just with that badass energy because you were able to identify you. So I think that's really important. Yeah, I absolutely love that. Okay, so let's talk about one of the elephants in the room when it comes to entrepreneurship, which is knowing your worth. We are programmed on putting an hourly rate on our skill set, and that shit does not work in entrepreneurship. So how does one actually put a value on their skills as an entrepreneur so that you're not always on this endless rat race to getting fucking paid because you're just going after scraps? So I always advise my clients, you're not a lawyer. You shouldn't be getting paid by the hour. That's not your structure. You should be getting paid for the transformation, for the results, for the value that you bring to the table. But for many of us, in order to even believe that we are valued at a certain number, we have to first see it to believe it, which was my instance, right? I was going to ask this company for $75,000 because I thought that was a lot of money and I thought that was what it was. But until I was exposed to someone who was making six figures for what I was asking for, this is possible. I can see it which is why I truly believe in investing and being around people that are doing what you want to do or that can expose you to new ways of getting paid, of thinking, of how much you get paid, et cetera. Because if you're not exposed to it, you don't know that it's possible. And so that was a crazy eye opener, but there's always levels. Like now I know I can make six figures. Well, how much more can I make? Who do I need to expose myself to so I believe? that I am capable of making that much money. And so it really narrows down to you putting yourself in spaces so that you can see what's possible. Like you can't be what you don't see. And so it's important for you to listen to podcasts, to go to events, et cetera, so you can just listen and observe and bear witness to the possibilities, especially if you've come from more humble beginnings or you're the first in your family to go to college, you're the first to start a business, it's very difficult to believe that you're deserving or that you are capable of making X amount of dollars if you've never been exposed to it before. 
Yeah. And you talk a lot about this of putting yourself in rooms where the money's at. So for somebody who, "Ah, I'm not good at networking. It's awkward. I'm an introvert. What advice do you have for them to actually get good at networking? Is it something that you believe you can improve? Is it a skill set that you feel like it's something you can work on? I do. It's the same way you get better with your performance behind closed doors. You got to practice that. (laughs) You got to put in the work. You got to put in your reps. You got to experience it in order to get better at it. It's the same thing with networking. And if you are an introvert and if you're like not sure about crowds, I always advise everyone, if you're going to go to an event, go VIP. Always. So for your event coming up in Puerto Rico, go VIP because you are already setting yourself up to be around a selected group of people that have the mindset of I'm going to be front row VIP, right? I'm going to get access to what everybody else doesn't have access to. And I'm already positioning myself as someone of high value, right? By going VIP. And if you're an introvert, you are already allowing this large grand audience of what might be a thousand people. Everybody's not going VIP. It might just be 50 people. So now you've alleviated that anxiety and now you're just commingling with 50 people, right? And they are most likely going to want to know who you are because you came in as a VIP. So you don't even have to start the conversation. They're already looking at you like, who that? Which is what you want. I love it. Okay, so tell us about your latest project, the Dare to Leap Academy. What is it and how does it help entrepreneurs take that leap? Yeah, so the Dare to Leap Academy was born because I've had an amazing community of people that have been on this journey with me and have seen me make the transition, have seen me secure the big bag, have seen me kind of evolve and make my mistakes, (laughs) have the wins. And they would ask me, how did you do this? How were you able to make the transition? How are you surviving right now? And it really hit me at that moment, like there's a gap here. People are not clear on how exactly to make the transition. And they're also not really educated on the B2B piece, right? As you said, a lot of people think about business and they automatically think, direct to consumer, they're not thinking about selling a service or a product B2B. And so the Dare to Leap Academy was born because I wanted to create a hub, a central depository, a one-stop shop where women who were in corporate or the nine to five grind wanted to transition to entrepreneurship. They definitely didn't want to lose their financial security, but they just didn't know where to start. And so we provide a framework, a proven framework, the one that I've used on how to make the transition and how to actually scale once you've made the transition, right? Because it's cool if you're making an extra 40K, an extra 50K, but that's not scalable, especially if you want to leave your corporate job where you might be making a healthy salary and all your benefits and all that jazz. And so we set you up for a successful transition, especially if you don't know where to start and you're just stuck and you're just tired of being stuck. We help you get unstuck with a real strategy and framework so that you're able to make a successful transition. Yeah, that transition is scary as hell. And the more you can plan for it, the better. What's your rule of thumb as far as some signs that it's time to make that transition? Is it consistency in income? Is it a specific level of income? Is it just the amount of years you've put in, size an emergency fund? Like, what are some signs? I think that the beautiful attribute that women have over men is our intuition. And we know when it's time innately in our gut 
yo, I'm done with this. I need to transition. I need something new. I'm destined for more. I want more, right? I want to create legacy, generational wealth, all the things. So pay attention to what your gut is telling you and that inner voice. That's step one. With the academy, what we do very well is we show you how to start and scale it up while you're still working so that you can see for yourself, oh shit, I can really do this because you actually have money coming in, right? So the business case is there. You're getting the validation. You're getting the confidence to actually leave and never go back, right? Because a lot of it requires you doing a lot of unconditioning, right? Because you've been conditioned to believe, no, you got to go to school, you got to go to corporate, you got to secure this job because more than likely your parents weren't able to do that. They sacrificed everything so you could do that, right? And follow what they believed was success. And now we're in this new world where you get to define what success is for you and there's so many opportunities for you to do things differently and for you to color outside the lines and for you to really determine how you want to live your life and actually monetize your expertise like never before. And so I would say, listen to your gut. I would also say, build it while you're still working. Make your employer your first business sponsor. Take advantage of opportunities for your company to pay for you to go to conferences, pay for you to join programs. I mean, at the end of the day, it's transferable skill sets that you're able to bring back to your job and also your business, but they don't need to know that. You're just going to tell them, no, this is going to help me be a better leader, a better teammate, et cetera. But while you're at this conference, you're networking and you're building your portfolio of potential clientele, right? So being strategic in that way. And also I would say that there's no one way to do this right. Ultimately, what it boils down to is execution. If you do the work, you'll fucking make it. You'll be able to do it. And of course, there's a lot of mindset stuff that goes into that transition. And that's why investing in coaching programs and joining things like the Dare to Leave Academy is so important because it is a journey and it is a process. And if you try to do it alone or you try to go to Google or you try to go to YouTube University, you're going to find yourself in the same position where you're like stuck. And I don't know about you, but I know People who listen to your podcast, especially the ladies, they're ambitious. They're about this life. They want more for themselves. They want to tap into their power, their badassery, their aura. So just fucking tap in and like make it happen for yourself, right? And when it gets hard, tap into your community, your network, and tap into people who understand. And that's why it's so important to not do this journey alone. Community is everything through this process. It is everything. And I find that the people who have the biggest blocks in front of them is because they're still finding reasons to fail. And I think the number one reason that people say to me over and over again is, I don't have the time. What's your response to that? Then you don't have the time to change your life. Listen, that's your path that you're choosing. And this is why mindset is one of the major phases of the academy. It's one of the things we start with first, because that mindset fuckery will have you thinking that you don't have the time. When you know when your ass is on the couch, Netflix and chilling, and you're calling it mental health, and that's you tapping into your mental health, okay? We all know that's a bunch of bullshit. That's you tapping into your laziness and procrastination, right? And like I said, women's intuition is bomb. You know yourself. You know this about yourself. Let's be real. When you're making excuses for yourself, you know. And to me, when I hear 
I don't have the time, but then I have clients who got three kids, got a husband, got a whole household, taking care of their grandmother, taking care of their parents, and they still finding time to build their business. I'm sorry. I don't have sympathy for you (laughs) because there's people out here doing more with less. That's facts. I mean, we all find the time for the shit that matters. That's just the reality of it. So it's going to require some radical self judgment, some honesty. You're going to have to confront some shit about yourself and the things you've been doing that you might not be okay with. But that's the first step. You got to acknowledge where the problems are, where those time suckers are, where those leaks are, where the energy vampires are that are just keeping you away from the goal. Right. And that takes you again, sitting down and allowing yourself to think and reflect. So many of us are like, go, 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 go. I got to do this. I got to do that. Or I got to do this. I got to go out with my girlfriends over here. You know, I got my kid over here and we don't take the time to just relax for a second and sit the fuck down. That's one of the things that I appreciate about the pandemic. It forced you to sit down and it forced you to self-reflect. But now that people are back outside, it's like they forgot all that. And they're like, I know I just got to be outside. I can't even think about that. I got to be outside. But then at night when you're in your bed, you're miserable. And you're like, damn, like this can't be life. I know I'm deserving of more. I want more. I need to do more. And I always say, I have this story where I was out having drinks And I met this guy who was a multimillionaire. And I don't like to measure people by the amount of money they have, but I am fully aware, especially during this five years of the work that goes into becoming a multimillionaire. So he asked me, what is the most challenging thing about your entrepreneurship journey? And I was like, yo, the most challenging thing has been the self-discipline. This shit is crazy. How is self-discipline the most challenging thing when you have complete control over that? And I was like, oh, shit. What? Yeah. I was like, damn. Like, oh, right. I was like, shit. I was like, okay. But it was that reality check. He's right. I do have complete control over that. And so you have to get real with yourself. And I know you can attest to this. Entrepreneurship has taught me more about myself than anyone has ever and any other experience has ever before in my life. I always say I'm paying for my own professional development right now because you will be tested in ways, honey, that you will never be tested in. And not to say that the challenge or the experience isn't the same, but it is different when you still have a job and trying to build your business versus when you're full-time building and growing your business. You got nothing to fall back on. You got no one else to answer to but yourself. And that is, I would say, the most challenging and also the most beautiful part of entrepreneurship. Because once you are able to master yourself, again, that confidence, that badassery, you having zero fucks to give, nobody can tell you shit because you are fully aware of yourself and most importantly, love yourself. And that can only happen when you face yourself one-on-one and get real with yourself. There is a power that comes from knowing that you can print your own money with the shit that's inside of your head. You walk around with a different energy in the world because you're just like, yo, anything that I want, I can have it. It's literally up to me. And one thing that I really credit entrepreneurship with is it forces you to keep the promises you make to yourself. Because if you don't, 
that's it. That's when the fucking building crumbles. It trains you to keep your word to yourself, which builds your confidence. Because when you know you can trust your own word and you know you're going to do it, you also demand that shit from everybody else in your circle. And the people that you allow to be in your space, you get real selective real quick. Real quick, honey. And that's why I say it's one of the most beautiful things because you no longer accept BS. You create better boundaries. You have more colorful standards. And you're just on a different level than the majority of people in this world, right? When you evolve and graduate to that level of awareness, everything hits different. And so you just become more mindful of how you show up and how you interact. And your personal relationships, they also benefit from this, whether that's you letting go of somebody's stink-ass son who ain't about it and you've moved on, or it's you bettering your relationship with your boo right now because you now are mature enough and willing to really admit your wrongs and say, hey, I'm doing better in this area. And I want to say this because I know this can sound super overwhelming for people, and heavy, especially if you know you've been avoiding acknowledging your areas of opportunity. I don't call them weaknesses. I call them area of opportunity. Just know that you're allowed to give yourself grace on this process. And I encourage you to give yourself grace on this process as long as you don't try to use your mental health as an excuse for this process. Cause I think too many people have taken that and ran with it. And it's like, Oh, I can't work more than 40 hours a week because of my mental health. Well, honey, you better work your ass off until you're able to make a great income where you only have to work 40 hours a week. But if you ain't there yet, like you ain't there yet. And you got to be okay with that to put in the work to get where you're trying to go. People be trying to like shun work. I get it. Listen, I don't like to work every day. I've been fortunate enough yesterday my ass didn't work all day. I maybe sent like three emails, but I was like, you know what? Today's that day. And I woke up and that's what I felt. And that's what I did. But I know now that Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, my ass going to be working. Right. right? So <laughs> it's about creating your balance, creating your structure, because when you have so much responsibility and the freedom, which so many people wanted to go in business because they say freedom, right? That's like a buzzword. I want the freedom. I want to be able to vacation when I want. I want to be able to take PTO. Yeah, that's great. But oh, honey, when you get that responsibility, it is a gift and a curse. Because honey, with that freedom, you can get distracted real fast. With that freedom, you can find yourself, oh shit, it's been six months. I just went through all my savings and I haven't done anything. Be mindful of what you're asking for and what freedom really means. And usually before you're able to get to the freedom, you have to master the self-discipline to get you there. That's facts. This was a whole ceremony. I mean, we got taken to church, all the things here. But listen, I want to do something for the community. Can I give them a freebie? Is that okay? Oh my gosh, yes. Tell us all about it. Okay, so I have this training. It's about 15 minutes long, so no excuses. I don't care if you have time. Do it when you're in the shower, when you're on the train, whatever. Training specifically for teaching you how to make the transition from corporate to entrepreneurship even if you have one source of income and don't want to lose your financial security. So I walk you through a three-step process, completely free on the house. And once you go through that training, if you want to learn more about the Dare to Leap Academy and you're interested and you're serious about daring to leap, there's an opportunity for you to book a free strategy call with me so we can get on the line and see if you're a fit 
and create some magic together and go secure the big bag. I'm here for this. And I feel like, especially right now in this time where recession talks are happening, we see the layoffs happening. These are the moments that force you sometimes to make the leap, even when you didn't choose to do it. And so I think it's always a good time to be thinking about how to create more financial security in your life. And for me, entrepreneurship is the number one thing, right? Because you can cut so much, but increasing your income is a limitless potential. And so thinking about different ways that you can monetize your skills outside of a nine to five job, I think is always should be top of mind, but especially in this time right now. So we're going to make sure to include that link to your freebie. And please tell us where we can find you on social website, all the things, where can people connect with you? Yeah. So you can find me on all the socials at I am, so I am Victoria Jen, J-E-N-N. So please come over there, introduce yourself, say you found out about me through the podcast. I love to talk to my community and get to know you guys on the official platforms like LinkedIn. It's my full name, Victoria Jen Rodriguez. And then my site is I am Victoria Jen. So literally just Google me y'all and I'm going to come up. (laughs) And I feel really good about that because your girl has put in the work to be Googleable. Okay. I'm here for the SEO optimization, okay? I'm here for it. (laughs) Victoria, Jen, this has been an awesome conversation. Thank you so much for the work that you're doing. I love seeing fellow Latinas, fellow Boricuas owning their fucking power and using money as the tool that it is meant to be used as, as a way to liberate yourself from environments, from toxicity, from underpaying, oppression, all the things. That's what money can do for you and much more, but we have to learn how to reshape our relationship that we've had with it as a community and really start using it, not just to empower ourselves, but to empower each other. And that's the work that you're doing. So thank you. I appreciate you. And thank you for financial literacy and educating our community because we need it. (laughs) Don't matter how much money you make, if you don't know what the hell you're doing with it. (laughs) Okay. Okay. spending it doesn't mean you know what you're doing with it, okay? Big facts. (laughs) But yes, and also kudos to you on Yo Quiero Dinero, that trademark and that name. I'm just obsessed. Thank you so much, Mama. Thank you for being here. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Thanks for listening to today's episode. If you are ready to take your dinero to the next level, sign up for our free 14-page guide, The Financially Lit Latina. 
the ultimate blueprint for becoming poderosa with your dinero. This 14-page guide includes our best tips on money mindset, budgeting, debt repayment, career, investing, financial independence, side hustles, and more. And you can get it completely free. So to get your copy of the Financially Lit Latina, just head over to YoQuieroDineroPodcast.com slash start. That's YoQuieroDineroPodcast.com slash start and start transforming your dinero story today. Until next time, stay empowered, stay inspired, and stay poderosa. On the Yo Quiero Dinero podcast and associated entities, all information provided is for general information purposes only and does not constitute accounting, legal, tax, or other professional advice. Listeners should not act upon the content or information found here without first seeking appropriate advice from an accountant, financial planner, lawyer, or other professional. We assume no responsibility for information contained on this podcast and associated entities and disclaim all liability with respect to such information, including but not limited to any liability for errors, inaccuracies, omissions or misleading or defamatory statements. Usage of this podcast and associated contents constitutes an explicit understanding and acceptance of the terms of this disclaimer.